This is an ABC podcast. Hi, it's Maggie Dent here. And in this episode of Parental as Anything, we'll discuss how to support children if they are questioning their gender or struggling with their mental health. Remember, if you need support, you can always call Parentline on 1300 30 1300. I'd say when I really knew I was trans was around 13 years old. Recently, I met Olivia Stewart, a 16-year-old girl who's been on a really tough journey over the last four years. You know, I'd heard of trans people before, but as I started to hear more and I'd got more curious and would look into it, and eventually, over time, I just kind of got to the point where I said, this is me. For a while, I was in a bit of denial. I was like, I feel like I'm trans, but no, that can't be true. I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me, what worried you the most about disclosing the truth of your identity once you figured it out? I think really it was about acceptance. When I kind of was scared of not being accepted by my family, it really wasn't coming from a logical place. You know, my family's just the nicest people. Now, if your child told you that they felt more like a girl than a boy, or more like a boy than a girl, would you know what to say? And more importantly, would you know what to do? Hello, I'm Maggie Dent, and in this Parental as Anything, we'll explore kids and gender. We don't know really what percentage of people are trans, but what we do know is that one in two transgender youth have attempted suicide. Four out of five have engaged in self-harm and around three in four young trans people have experienced anxiety or depression. They are sobering statistics, aren't they? It's a really challenging issue for parents who haven't grown up with conversations about the gender spectrum And while young people today are far more aware of gender diversity, many trans people still experience bullying and transphobia at school and in their communities. So, let's talk about gender. Dr Vic Rawlings researches education, gender, sexuality, violence and young people at the University of Sydney. Vic, as you know, I'm a boy champion who also likes girls. The world is changing and our understanding of the spectrum of gender has changed a lot and I really want you to help me better understand that. So, let's start with Gender 101. What does it mean when we use the term gender spectrum? Well, firstly, Maggie, it's great that you're acknowledging that you want to learn more. A lot of people don't think about learning more about gender and they think that it's just one thing or another, a binary. And we actually know that gender is a diverse array of options along a continuum. And that's what's meant by the gender spectrum. Really, really simply, it's not just boy and girl, masculine and feminine. There's actually a whole array of things in the middle. Now, what has changed about our understanding of gender? We used to think of gender, and I'm going to use an academic word here, in an essentialist way. And what I mean by essentialism is that we think that 
gender, which is, I guess, kind of how masculine or feminine you are or somewhere in the between, was linked to sex. But actually, these things are different. Sex is the kind of biological stuff, your hormones, the way that your body presents itself. But gender is actually how we represent ourselves in our society and how society constructs those meanings about sex and gender. I think a really good example of this is when we think about the colours pink and blue. In the 19th century, it was actually the other way around. Oh, for real? <laughs> yeah. Little boys were dressed up in pink because that was seen as a really masculine colour. It represented uh, a bold colour, a colour that stood out and that was going places, basically. And blue represented a really serene, passive colour. And that was often what girls were dressed in. Our whole understanding of those colours has changed around. We have to understand that gender in Western culture is just one construct of gender and that it changes over time and across space. And so that's what we mean by the construct of gender, that everything that we do creates meanings about gender as we go along. I've been challenging for a long time that one that says boys are tough and girls aren't. So, you know, once again, when we start to move one end, we also move the other end, don't we? And that's that's good news. That's exactly right. And when we think about moving those goalposts, it's actually giving everyone more freedom to be who they want to be and to be who they are. Okay. Now, Vic, the where I get a little bit confused is the changes in language. So can you walk us through a few of those significant ones, please? Uncertainty around language is totally natural. It's often things that we haven't heard before or spoken about before. And some people seize up because they don't want to get it wrong. It's okay to get it wrong. That's the first thing. But we can talk about some general terms. Um, One is transgender. And that basically means that someone's sex assigned at birth is different to their gender identity. And gender identity is basically how you see your gender. It's a very personal thing. It's something only you really understand and it's inside your head. No one can kind of access that unless you tell them about it. And the other term that people often want to hear about is this term that we don't hear as often, which is cisgender. And cisgender, C-I-S gender, or one word, represents people who align their gender identity with the sex that they were assigned at birth. That's someone like me. When I came out of the uterus (laughs) and was born, they were like, it's a girl. And I still identify as a girl or a woman now. What about binary and non-binary? What's non-binary? You know, is that that part of the middle spectrum somewhere? Yeah. So often when we see um, the word trans, we see trans with a little star at the end of it. And that's because there's a whole spectrum of trans identities. Non-binary is one of those points on a spectrum. And that's basically people who are like, you know what, these labels of girl or boy or man or woman, they don't really work for me. I'm actually somewhere in the middle. We can see other labels like genderqueer. We can see gender fluid. Sometimes I identify as a boy, sometimes I identify as a girl. So there's a whole heap of diverse labels and identities that people find that are right for them. So Vic, can you explain the change around pronouns? Because I know that's one that's confusing for some people. Pronouns are about how we talk about people. If I was trans or gender diverse and I wanted to be identified as a man or he, then I would suggest that they might use he pronouns. And people who are non-binary will prefer most of the time they pronouns they them. So pronouns are a really great way for us to say we see you, we respect you, and we understand that we can support you by using the pronouns that you prefer. And I think the challenge for us is to work out how to respect an individual's expression of sex and gender. Understand and then respect. Yeah, understand is a great part. You know, if we can increase our knowledge, we can decrease our fear and we can start accepting that people 
are like that and this way and that's great and it's great for our community. Gender confusion or uncertainty can happen to anyone. I can still vividly remember being annoyed that I wasn't a boy. I chose to play with the boys more in primary school and hung out with them a lot more. So are there any common signs in a child who's seriously questioning their gender? There's a big difference between your experience, which is one that I've had as well. Like I played football and um, was super into sport and all of those kind of things. But the difference with our experience is that we never said, I am a boy. We didn't persistently, consistently and insistently say, my gender identity is different to the sex that I was assigned at birth. And those are the things that actually will exhibit themselves most of the time for trans kids and young people. If your child has always seemed to fit with the stereotypes of their biological sex and then identify as being gender diverse or trans, can you help us understand that from that child's perspective? Because that's a bit different. Of course. And, you know, stereotypes are just that, right? We know that they are not necessarily indicative of a truth. I want to tell you a little bit about, well, just draw your attention to the example of Caitlyn Jenner. You know, Caitlyn Jenner is a very high profile trans woman. And she came out very late in life. Um, I'm not sure how old she was, but she was established as an adult. She had had a long career as a someone who was assigned male at birth in the Olympics. And in that capacity, she was looking very masculine, competing at the highest level in very masculine pursuits, had a wife, children. But that doesn't mean that her gender identity matched that appearance. So gender identity is something that is totally personal and Sometimes our gender identity won't match what we do on the outside of us. And it could be absolutely confusing for parents and all of those around, let's be honest. However, it is their truth. That's right. I think that's a really good way of talking about it, that it's someone else's truth. And I can understand that parents would be confused and that they might be really scared as well. But the most important thing is to remember that you love your kid. That's the greatest thing you can offer your child if they tell you their truth what can you say? You can say, I love you, I support you, and I might get it wrong sometimes, but I want to walk alongside you in this journey. I want to hear from Olivia again. When we talk about the challenges that young people face if they're gender diverse, that can be really worrying for parents. But for Olivia, a lot of things change for the better once she came out as trans. It would be distrustful for me to say that I'm perfectly fine now, but I definitely say that a lot of my sort of discomfort has been alleviated. I don't feel as isolated and as alone. I feel like I'm not quite living a, a lie or, you know, I'm living something that's wrong. So what was difficult about coming out? When it comes to difficulties, I mean, there's numerous ones. You know, coming out's not the end of the journey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Transition's a long road. And uh, I think it is firstly important to clarify that transition really is different for everyone. But either way, it's pretty tough. And especially at the moment for things like medical treatment, you do have to go through a lot to get it. To acceptance, in some places, I wasn't accepted very well. And that caused a lot of difficulties Stuff like bullying, I did experience that. Uh, It does happen. And 
I guess from there, there's also smaller things like, you know, it's still, I still have feelings of gender dysphoria sometimes and I still don't think my transition's over for me yet. And that's definitely a battle I think I'm going to be fighting for a very long time, but, uh, you know, it gets better every day. High schools can be nasty places for kids, um, especially those who are different. You've already touched on bullying. What did you experience when you first came out? At the school I was in at the time, I didn't actually come out at that school because um, due to, I guess, difficulties over the school post, over me being trans, we decided to ultimately part ways. And so I started at my next school out as myself. So there wasn't really a, you know, hmm. telling everyone yeah. I know um, but, of course, uh, there were friends I had from my old school that that did have to know, and they were really fine with it. I mean, if, yeah. if they're really your, your good friends, they should be fine with it. Yeah. The good news is that you've found a respectful, inclusive school now. What's the best thing about that? Um, well, I think I just feel a lot safer. And it's also I feel like I... Um, I'm supported by the school administration in stuff um, such as my name, also in things like PE and school sport. And not only that, but I think it's also just as an extension of being accepting for trans people, it's accepting for everyone. And you definitely see a lot of people very open about themselves in terms of sexuality and uh, gender, I guess, <laughs> variance. And I think that's really, really good. So that means there's a different culture, yeah, isn't there? It, it definitely facilitates a more accepting, I guess, school society. Most people over 35 didn't grow up around kids who were out as trans or non-binary. So when us oldies see it becoming more common to identify as gender diverse, our perception can sometimes maybe seem like it's a trend, now, can you help me understand that from your perception? Mm. Well, it's definitely a common view I've seen expressed, and I think it's really a case of survivorship bias. As we're moving forward, we're seeing a lot more acceptance, and as a result, it's not necessarily that there are more trans people, but more feel safe coming out. And not just that, more people actually know if they're trans, I mean, if I had never heard of trans people, you know, I wouldn't have come out probably because I, I would have lived very confused. Um, <laughs> but knowing and education has helped people understand who they are more. So it's really they were already there. We were already there. Um, <laughs> and it's just now people are feeling safe or knowledgeable enough to come out. Absolutely. Okay, so Olivia, what would have made this journey easier for you? Just being able to feel a lot safer. You know, acceptance has risen a lot over the years, but it's still at a rate where there's a lot of horrible acts committed against trans people every year and unfortunately are often underreported on. So I've often had trouble with avoiding being seen as trans in any way I can you know, avoiding a lot of social situations because I feel in some cases you can feel unsafe if you are recognised as trans. And I have had public incidences of strangers um, yelling at me in the streets, uh, generally drunk, so 
I mean, I don't know if that's a positive or not, but <laughs> I definitely think just a general acceptance and the knowledge and security of that would be a huge change in how trans people feel. Okay, so if your child tells you they want to transition, what happens next? Here's Dr. Vic Rawlings again. So transitioning's different for everyone. Some trans kids will want particular outcomes for their bodies or for themselves and other kids won't want those things. So it's important to kind of, I guess, early on start talking with your child and also with professionals about the pathways and what your kid wants. When we talk about transitioning, some people think that it might be from male to female, but we know that, for example, non-binary kids live somewhere in the middle. So people get concerned about puberty blockers and surgery. That may not be what your child wants. So just be open to those conversations. And then the next step is obviously to get support and advice. You can always talk to a GP. You can always Google which are supportive GPs, especially in your area. And you can also encounter really great resources and fact sheets on places like the Gender Centre. There's amazing resources that talk about transitioning process, the kind of risks and rewards involved with that, and all of the steps that you need to go through. So essentially, puberty blockers or even hormones are are basically helping that body start to function in the gender that they would prefer to be identified with. And it's, it's just not an even pathway on how that happens, is it? That's right. So puberty blockers are basically an entirely reversible treatment. I'm not an expert on this, but I don't think that there's any negative side effects. It's just like an entirely reversible thing that stops someone going through puberty. And that's basically a pause, a, a press pause on changes. It may be to allow some more time. It may be to, as an initial step before the next stage of kind of hormone therapy, there's lots of different pathways. Some people have surgery before they have hormone therapy. Some people have hormone therapy and then no surgery. It's all like totally different. And in all around that process, there are um, professionals who work in this area, don't they, who offer support, counselling. 100%. And they are there to support you and your child. How can parents then help the extended family, the people already in those children's lives? What, What sort of advice would you have for them? For some parents, it can be really hard. Some parents may come across people who don't they're not necessarily sympathetic to gender diversity and that can be really difficult. The best thing that you can do is be honest, be approachable and sometimes, you know, we may not want to be but we have to be educational as well. So opening up your relationships, trying to be sympathetic to people's understandings and telling them your truth. One strategy that some parents take is that they write a letter to close friends and family members and they explain their journey, they explain the things that they feel like they need to communicate to those people. They may also say, look, you know, we know you may get it wrong and that's okay, but this is our situation and we really want you in our lives and we really want you to support us. You know, I reckon that's a brilliant idea because when you've got something that's written, you can go back over it and read it and read it, but when words have been spoken... Yeah, um, that is really good. We can go back and we can share that with somebody else in detail. And mm. that's a really great way to get that education happening. This is a really complicated and vexed question, Vic, but what if a child who's begun to transition just yeah, wants to stop? That's actually a really rare situation. And part of that is because we have lots of checks and balances before transition happens. There is always professional advice and support about transitioning. And like I said before, the transition has to be 
insistent, persistent and consistent, those requests to transition. It's incredibly rare that 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 um, changes. But basically there's different stages of the transition and there are ver- various levels of reversibility. The first stage, for example, puberty blockers is entirely reversible. So there is a kind of time check there as well. We have a parent who suspects their child is gender diverse, but the child hasn't come out and said anything. Uh, what suggestion do you have for that parent to support them to open up on that conversation? One of the best things that I would recommend that you do is to show that you support trans and gender diverse people who are already out. So you might, you know, strike up, a. it's probably going to feel awkward and weird, but strike up a conversation about maybe a trans person in the media and say, you know, I really support their right to live their true gender identity. And I think they're incredibly brave. And uh, those kind of comments will show that you would be supportive. And it's just also, I guess, being aware of language around the house, being aware of the kinds of things that you're saying, the kind of opportunities that you're making available for your kids. So what is the world like for kids who aren't cisgender? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to just tell the bad things. Um, It's also a great world, right? It's also a world where potentially if they have support and resources, they can live their true gender identity. They're better supported than ever in terms of the health system, although there's a long way to go and they have options to live their gender identity from a young age. So there's some really great things that are in place for trans people, including support resources, community, finding a chosen family, finding an amazing group of people that you can live out yourself with. That's a really great thing as well. And I think sometimes we get hung up on the negative statistics and it's good to talk about the positive things too. And how much can a parent do to advocate for their child, say within their community? That's such a great question because parents are sometimes the best advocates. They're people who love their kids and they're people who have a voice often. And sometimes the kids won't be able to advocate them for themselves. So it's always important to talk with your kid about if they feel comfortable for you to advocate for them. But if they do, schools and communities are a place that you can do that. So it's just about taking small steps if you can. You've made me feel a lot more confident. And so it's okay if I do muck up from time to time, but let's work out to learn and then make different choices after that. Is that, is that, have I got it? 100%. So let's say you get a pronoun wrong. You just say, sorry, and you think I'll do better next time. And then next time we try and get it right. And, you know, not make a big deal about it because that's not what the person wants either. And we know that we're biologically wired to belong. So essentially the better we're able to let everybody belong in our families and our schools and our communities, the healthier we all are. Yep, you bet. We're better together, as 2020 has taught us. Way better together. (laughs) Vic, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Something we all want for all of our children is for them to be happy and healthy. If your child tells you that they're struggling with their gender identity, the most important thing you can do for them is to listen Hear what they have to say, validate that their feelings are real and ask them how that struggle is impacting them and then find out together what to do next. If you're looking for information for trans and gender diverse youth, we've added some links to our show notes. And if you want more on this topic from a parent's perspective, there's an episode of Conversations that I really want you to hear. Co-host Sarah Konoski speaks to mum Rebecca Robertson about her daughter Georgie Stone and the journey that helped change the legal landscape for trans children in Australia. 
What was that experience like in, in 2011 when you went to the family court the first time? Look, it was really terrifying and there are a, a number of different layers to it. Firstly, Georgie had gone into puberty. She was already well past the stage that, they, that is clinically the most beneficial to receive pubertal blockade. Um, and we were afraid that her voice was going to break at any minute. We protected her from that knowledge because we thought that was just the kindest thing to do. Search for The Ferocious Power of Rebecca in the Conversations feed on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Next time. What to do if your child is suicidal. Having an adult that's calm, that acknowledges their distress and that the young person experiences a genuine offer of help and offer of time from an adult. It's that connecting with someone in a calm and genuine way, validating them, engaging with a young person that really counts. That's next on Parental As Anything with me, Maggie Dent. Maggie Dent.